Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Mary Klestad from Melbourne, Australia, and you're listening to the wonderful Tennis Podcast. We're back, folks, and we're back with a bang because... Uh fans of tennis and I'm assuming given that you're listening to this podcast you are fans of tennis will know that tennis never stops so in the two weeks that we've been away uh, lots and lots of tennis has happened we did have uh, a listener question special last week for friends of the tennis podcast and we will also have a Juan Martin del Potro special for friends of the tennis podcast this week so if you want to be like Mary in Melbourne and become a friend of the tennis podcast or bag yourself an intro then you can do that the link is in our show notes we will of course be talking about Juan Martin del Potro in this podcast as well Uh, but we are first going to deal with title winners this week and the events that have been happening in St. Petersburg and in Rotterdam where we've had titles for Annette Conservate and Felix Auger Aliassim and Melbourne has never felt so far away Matt as when you're watching St. Petersburg and Rotterdam because they feel so wintry and cold and indoors I know they're indoor events but they feel ultra indoor somehow it's almost sort of a spite out of spite to the Australian Open and all its bright sunshine uh, we're going to make this as dark and as cold as possible <laughs> just to remind you that you're back in winter <laughs> it's such a contrast isn't it it's it's very february very tennis in february i must say if if you did want something totally different and unexpected Watch Buenos Aires this week. I was not ready for clay in sunshine in February as well. That was a that played tricks on your mind as well. You know, you're going from watching Rotterdam in the in the cold indoor to Buenos Aires outdoors on the clay. It was it, it is a weird time of the year February for tennis, and it, none of it quite fits together or knits together. But I must say, we had a week of really incredible storylines. I think actually. Yeah, we did. I mean, look, the biggest of those is is Felix Auger-Aliassim finally winning his first title. This this story, David, was on uh, the BBC Radio News this morning, the sports news, which I found quite interesting because Felix Auger-Aliassim, OK, he had that run at Wimbledon last year, but not sure where to place him in terms of cut through. You know, he's not mm. he's obviously not won a major, not reached a final. Him winning his first title, and I think part of it had to do with the really strong emotional audio clip interview clip that accompanied it um which we'll talk about in a minute but you know i could imagine the the editor on that sports desk going this guy's definitely somebody that people need to know about for the future so him winning his first title is newsworthy but i I was Mm. interested to hear it yeah i'm really happy to hear that um and it is encouraging i think and i think it does show how a human interest story of of somebody who's look I know he's only young but when you've got that record of 0-8 in finals and 16 sets played 16 sets lost that is a thing and that is something that is remarked upon and it's going to be and he because he just thrust that aside so emphatically over the last week backing up 
what felt like a breakthrough in its own right at the Australian Open and in other weeks. And then you saw what it meant to him, that he wasn't trying to hide it, that he wasn't trying to just brush it off for his team weren't. They weren't saying this is a foregone conclusion, that this is going to happen. And you've got him on his phone with his dad straight after all these things. These are the things that make people care about you. And I think it's very difficult to watch Felix Auger-Aliassime and not be moved by him as an individual and by extension, as a tennis player. I mean, I I've, I watched all of his matches in Rotterdam this week and I didn't watch that many other players. I just I was really focused on him. He felt like the story all the way through. That is a really interesting comment, David, because during the Australian Open, I did find it a bit difficult to care about him until that, until that, uh, that match with Daniel Medvedev, which was obviously you know, sensational and dramatic and extremely interesting in lots of ways. I had found him a, a bit impenetrable and a little bit corporate. I was losing interest in him just a little bit and he has completely pulled it back for me this week, particularly with that final. Um, we'll talk about the final. He beat Stefanos Sitsipas. He destroyed Stefanos Sitsipas actually in that final. It was it was a bit of a demolition job. Sitsipas looked, you know, standing there in the sort of the grey lighting of the Rotterdam centre court, looking extremely pale with his tiny little plate. Um, he looked a bit <laughs> shell shocked. Actually, did Stefanos Sitsipas? Um, and Felix got a plate. His first, but, yeah, his they first both, title is a plate. Yeah, it was all it was all very plate. It was here's your little plate, here's your medium sized plate, Felix. <laughs> um but I loved that he led us in on how much it meant and how difficult those eight consecutive final losses had been. Uh and the, as you say, David, the sixteen consecutive sets lost the the not having even played well really in any of those sets he said he said you wouldn't believe the sleepless nights i've had um wow. that was the clip that they that they played on five live That's this great. morning um yeah it was it was an incredible clip and you know he's he's been he's 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 been a bit defensive i think and uh, about you know the the failure to win a title thing and and just generally a bit recently since the narrative is developed about you know you're not quite pushing on in the way that we all overhyped you to do a few years ago he's just got a little bit defensive um with the media and I and I get it but I was just starting to find it a bit impenetrable but I just love how he's led us in and revealed what he said it feels like the most enormous weight has been lifted from my shoulders and I do just wonder what what Felix Auger has seen we're going to see now because we, we've already seen a different one something has changed in him to win that title in the way that he's done but what now what what will that unleash in him and for him yeah he does feel like unleashed and unlocked. And I think even in this final, before he'd done it, to me, it felt like he was different. I, I thought he was going to win this final. He was playing so well. I think like David, I've been watching all of his matches through Rotterdam. And I think looking back, I agree, Catherine, there was a sort of slight defensiveness over the way he was questioned about his record. And I, I I think he was sort of questioning why he was being questioned a little bit. And now I see those answers as as an indication that actually he had belief that it would come and his mindset had changed. And something has happened in the last eight months for me where he has, he's more confident and there were no real nerves in the big matches we've seen him play recently you know I think I think back to the Bautista Agu match with the ATP Cup on the line and he was brilliant in that he was absolutely fantastic and we said it's not a first title but it might help get the first title because it was him doing it for Canada he was he was flawless then at then at the Australian Open there were nerves in his first few matches I, I went out to watch him against Rusevori he had a terrible second set lost it six love he struggled against Davidovic Fakina but in the big matches he played at the Australian Open, like against Chilich and against Medvedev, of course, 
That was pretty much the best of Felix Auger Aliasim. And then this week, again, struggled in the opening match, I think, against Gerasimov. And then as the week went on, he just looked better and better. And he's sort of turned big matches into what he's been good at this year. It's such a such a turnaround for him from what we've seen in his previous finals. And yeah, I I really do think that final was an indication of what he can do. Like he could win matches easily. He's got that sort of game that can I think will allow him to dominate if he plays well because he's got a big serve. He can break easily because he's got an amazing return and he's got such firepower on the forehand and also on the backhand he can can be so smooth and easy for him I think he he, he doesn't have to struggle in matches when he puts it all together and that's that's a great thing to have I think as a top player and yeah I mean I'm like you I'm very very excited about what this season in particular brings and also just the future for Orger Aliasim and I think a lot of people are looking at Wimbledon already you know because there's a Mm. gap there in terms of next gen I've used that word. I'm sorry. Younger players who haven't had a breakthrough <laughs> on grass yet. Whereas, whereas he has shown good form on grass in the past. Mm. So I think I think a lot of people will be looking at Wimbledon this season as a sort of immediate goal for him. That was Chris Clary's take, wasn't it, on Twitter? Look out for this guy at Wimbledon. You've just you've just reminded me just to deviate briefly from Felix Auger Aliasim and his brilliance. You've just reminded me with the mention of Igor Gerasimov, Matt, that you tried to convince me that Gerasimov was was really good and somebody that I should pick in the predictions in Australia. The, these are the dastardly things, David, that Matt tried to do in Australia. You said, I, I was going through the draw trying to pick a prediction for the next day and Matt and I said, you know, reeled off the name Jurassic and Matt went, oh, I think he's quite good. Anyway, it turned out he had confused him. With Ivashka. Completely. With Ilya Ivashka. It was an innocent mix-up. Who I think also lost in the first round. Anyway, no offense, there we Eagle. go. <laughs> You'd never get me doing that sort of thing, Catherine, would you? Um, it, we, I mean, we we know that Stefanos Sitsipas doesn't like the Felix or Gerolese matchup, does he? Mm. I mean, he's he's turned it around a bit of late, but early on in his career, he thought Felix or Gerolese was the most unplayable unbeatable man in the whole entire world. Remember those quotes after he lost to him at Queen's saying, I just I just have to accept that I'm never going to beat this guy. I'm going to donate <laughs> 10,000 to charity when I do beat him or something. Yes, yeah. But I don't think um, that much changed, you know. That's that's the interesting thing. I, I think, yes, Sitsipas got better and found something. But I think that Ojeali Asim played poorly in the matches that they had subsequently. I think that this is the grown-up version of that incredible talent that we saw back then. But I, I think match-up-wise, the problem still remains. How does Sitsipas hurt Ojeli Asim? Because to the eye test, there's a lot of Novak Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev to the way Ojeli Asim looks. He looks, to use your word, impenetrable, but from a different sense, Catherine, as though the game is impenetrable. How do you how do you hurt him? He he. The, the thing that was left out in in Matt's analysis of everything that he does so well is his movement. He's everywhere. Mm. And he can he can move with that sort of forward-facing slide like Djokovic does on both sides. It makes him such a difficult man to play. And he, he wasn't missing. He just all week long. Um, I found his semi-final against Andre Rublev fascinating because I uh, watched that very closely I kind of feel Rublev is the top five version of the Roberto Bautista or Andrea Seppi type test you have to pass. Rublev has got the the top 10 version of that, I guess it would be, really, wouldn't it? Has he ever been top five? I don't know whether he is. But, you know, to my mind, if you're good enough, you find a way past Rublev because Rublev kind of has a top gear and there's not a turbo boost to it. And I actually thought Rublev played really, really well against him for two sets. Um, he he clawed his way back from four sets down and won the first set. And I thought, what a massive test this is for Auger Aliassime, to have had those chances at 5-6, love 40 on Rublev's serve and not win the set. Um, but he, he didn't flicker. He didn't sit down with a slump. He just got up again, went back to his business, and Rublev, they were battling it out, and eventually he just broke him down. And I thought Rublev served in difficult moments and hit 
slightly unusual type of ground strokes for him when under the gun, when he was really back against the wall. Some of the best stuff I've ever seen him do. And yet he didn't win that second set. And the moment that he lost his serve in that second set, Rublev, the match was over. Rublev has a short fuse that frightens me when he loses his serve in that situation. He smashed the ball into the backdrop and caused it to malfunction. You know, he kind of left a little glitch in the electronic board at the back. And the look in his face, the rage, I find really frightening to to see somebody lose it to that degree. He's lost control. And then the third set, I think, was 6-1 in about 20 minutes. And Oji Aliasim has just... Something has clicked. I think it's it's been a gradual process. He's worked incredibly hard and diligently with his support team and everybody around him. But something has now clicked. He knows how to to win matches and sustain his level. And yes, he sometimes has little rashes where he misses the forehand still and goes... I, I think he's got room for improvement yet because I think he'll tighten that element of his game up even more and he'll stop making you go, oh, how did he miss that? I didn't see that one coming. But it's happening so much less. So he's, He is... He. I got this wrong at the end of last year. I wrote the bloke off, and I got it wrong. He is coming. What I found interesting as well about him winning, and Catherine, you mentioned how it sort of cut through to mainstream sport, you know, being on, being on the BBC Sports radio there. I found the reaction in tennis really intense and interesting like there was a real outpouring of this is great for Felix Auger-Eliassim everyone was very happy for him and as you said eyes on what what this could be for the future because I think you know if you've been in tennis in the last five years you've been interested in the Auger-Eliassim narrative and story you know he was he was this guy who was breaking records as a junior you know he was doing things nobody else had done at a faster rate at a better rate then he had this transition onto the ATP tour and a really good one you know he 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 he's he settled very quickly but there was this sort of debate about whether he had stagnated or whether these finals were going to be a massive problem for him that he was losing or whether actually he would get there in time and there's also I think been a debate about his game I think some people have maybe found it a bit mechanical or one-dimensional and it it has has looked like that at times when he's played badly but then you see him in full flight in a week like this and in matches like against Medvedev and it's quite a mesmerizing game when everything is working it, it, it I don't know it draws me in and yeah I just think we've reached a point now where he's he's finally done something that people have been waiting for him to do and he's he's been unlocked he's been unleashed and I think Everyone has been with Australia Seam and their relationship with him as well. It's like, okay, finally he's won that title. Now we're just excited about what the future's going to be. I, I enjoy watching Felix Australia Seam when he's loose. And sometimes I think that when he's looked mechanical, I think that's when his body is sort of taut, you know, and his yes. strokes can suddenly look very stiff. Mm. Um, and I th- And I think, you know, Part of that is sort of how much he's wanted it, how diligent and professional he is. You know, there hasn't been much of the the young, playful 21-year-old or, you know, 20, 19-year-old about him. He's been all business, hasn't he, since the moment he's emerged onto the scene. And I think, you know, he's looked a bit fraught at times with, with all of it. Um, and again, that was something that was that was revealed and he he led us in on with those with those comments after winning that title you wouldn't believe the sleepless nights i've had um so the prospect of seeing him loosen up even more um is brilliant because i think it'll enable him to unlock unlock his potential and enable us to enjoy him like i think you know we all want to because there's so much there but i want to see him be free um, and I, I think we're going to see that now. In terms of sit to pass, um, he he's never won an ATP 500 title. That's the stat that has been going around. He's 0 and 8 in finals now. Personally, I don't read too much into that. With it's all due a weird respect, to thing, isn't it? 500 tournaments. You know, if he ends his career with 12 Grand Slams, he's not going to go. Oh, but I I never won an ATP 500 final. You know, he'll be fine. It's just. I think it's just a quirk. He's he's working he's working with Thomas Enquist, um 
Not sure whether this is a, a trial thing, how long it's going to be the case for. His dad wasn't with him in Rotterdam. Apostolos had a a a, a, a lesser seen week off because um, Sitsabas doesn't have many weeks off and by extension orders Apostolos. And uh, Thomas Enquist was with him. I find this one interesting. David, you and I know Thomas Enquist from the Champions Store. I, I, I've spent a lot of time in weird locations around the world with Thomas Enquist. I once got stranded in Beijing uh, with Thomas Enquist. Um, he's a lovely bloke. Um, he's a proper person, you know. He's a serious, serious person. You know, he's a grown-up. He's definitely a grown-up. Um, he doesn't have much coaching experience. Um, I know he's worked with the Labour Cup, hasn't he, and uh, the Davis Cup as well. Um, but one-on-one coaching experience doesn't have much. Um, stylistically, I don't see many similarities between Enquist and Sitsipas, but maybe just having a grown-up in the team and sort of breaking up that parent-child weird dynamic um, and the sort of rut that Sitsipas can get into with the, that dynamic with his dad, which, if comments in Aus- Australia are to be believed, is sort of more his more Apostolos's fault than Stephanos's. That's certainly how... Stephanos explains it anyway. He says, oh, you know, I can't control my dad. That's how he's going to behave. I have spoken to him <laughs> about it. But, you know, dad, dads be dads is kind of his uh, his his explanation. But I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one to me, David. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I concur about Enquist. Lovely fella. Um, but it'll it's a test of time, that one, because... I think of Caroline Wozniacki, who had several attempts at having another coach alongside or in place of her father, and none of them lasted more than a few weeks. Thomas Johansson was one of them, who we had on the the, the podcast um, for Friends a, a couple of weeks ago. You know, another lovely fella who who's just so easy to get along with, and that just didn't last that long. She had Thomas Hogstead. She had uh, Sasha Byne, you know. Always wanted to go back to her dad. Felt most comfortable with him. And and I think that that is possible with Stephanus. You know, he may, he may need a break from time to time, but I'm not sure long term it's going to work. But, you know, good luck to them. And I definitely don't think Sitsipas was anywhere near his best last week. I think he, he did quite well to get to the final because he wasn't playing that well. Um, so I don't think there's too much to worry about. But you're right. It's, it's just an interesting development to follow, isn't it? Mm-mm. We will we will keep eyes on Stefanos Sitsipas and the uh, the Thomas Enquist situation. Uh, one last player to mention, I think, from Rotterdam before we move on to St Petersburg and focus for the rest of the podcast on the St Petersburg um, trophy ceremony, of course. Um, Yuri Lehechka, the qualifier who reached the semi final, he beat Corentin Mute, Botic van der Zandtrup. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, Lorenzo Mazzetti eventually lost to Sitsipas in three sets in the semis. He had led by a set. I think he just faded physically, was my take on that match. He's now the highest ranked Czech, Czech male player um, and is bursting. I can't think top, if I've ever seen him play. Top 100. And this was one where he, lo- he Denis Shapovalov loses to him, and you go, well, that is horrible. What on earth is Denis Shapovalov doing? You're damning Denis Shapovalov because he's losing to this player who's playing, I think, his first ever uh, tour-level match. Um, but then it turns out maybe it wasn't that bad a loss after all. I mean, I'd, personally, I didn't watch that much. My dad did, and I asked for his assessment, and he did say Shapovalov wasn't very good. Um, but Lehechka <laughs> has a has a lovely backhand. That's my... Oh takeaway of Lehechka one or two hands two handed he um he wears his hat backwards which you're not gonna like David but he is he's very young there's it might be a youth thing Mm, yes (laughs) (laughs) he took out drip Mute and Shapovalov (laughs) oh the drip double yeah the drip double um and I would say give him a follow on Twitter he's got 221 followers Give him a f- I mean, I haven't followed him, but give him a follow. Um, and also, and also, I would say, 
he turned pro in in 2020, which is probably the worst year ever to turn pro in tennis. You know, the playing opportunities weren't there. And I think maybe we would have seen a bit more of him earlier, but he turned pro then. He, He did well. I think he halved his ranking pretty much that year. Last year, he won some challenges, qualified for the Australian Open this year, lost to Dimitrov in the first round. And yeah, he's he's he had an amazing week in, in Rotterdam. It was like no one, I don't know, I mean, obviously much smaller scale, but there was a sort of Emirate Okanu thing of no one knowing what what his strengths are, what his weaknesses mm. are, and he's just riding this wave. And yeah, he, he can flatten out that backhand very impressively. So yeah, mm. I think it's interesting, the dearth of Czech male players versus the incredible mm. number of female Czech players. I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, him and... Who's your guy, David? Mahach? Thomas? Yes, who we, who we, we, bought, we watched um, Cressy beat him mm. up close in, uh, yeah. in, yeah. in Melbourne, so David. He's got, somebody got I, re- sun, I think between them, they've got, a couple, they've got a couple coming through. Well, I, say, mm. I always remember him for the eye test and having watched him and enjoyed him, but I always forget his name. <laughs> <laughs> just, just one final thing on Rotterdam. Um, David, David's eye test had him um, tuning in for Kazakina Svantec expecting a, expecting a classic this morning. Yeah, I've not been on, on my best form recently in terms of picking out belters. I mean, that was one and two in about 50 minutes. Um, but, uh, you you, love Kaz- I, just I love think- how much you love Kazakina. Yeah, I love them both. I just that I, I do find myself drawn to whenever they play. Um, but you know, you were talking about um, Rotterdam this time of year in the cold February tournaments. I, I I attended Rotterdam twenty years ago this year. Um, I think my first and only time, and uh, and it was the it was the year that I turned freelance. And and I remember being in February. I just. Um, I'd just left the ATP, come back to the UK from living in Monaco. Um, oh, dear. Uh, and then um, I remember seeing uh, Tim Hemman enter the tournament as a late entrant and just thinking, I don't think any journalists are going. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and freelance. So off I went to Rotterdam and I remember sleeping on somebody's floor uh, that I knew, and um, it was the coldest I'm glad week you of my added life. Yeah, you, that I knew you really saved that there, David, with <laughs> who I knew. <laughs> um, lovely fella he was. Uh, he used to work at the ATP. And um, anyway, I, 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 so I freelanced for the Daily Telegraph. I didn't know what I was doing, really, if I'm honest. I was just writing my 350 words at the end of play each night. Um, and I also got my first ever experience of of doing reports for BBC Radio. Um, and on day one, with Tim Hemman about to play, I, I got a call. And the, the arrangement was I was just going to do sort of pre-recorded things at the end of the day because I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I'd never done it in my life before. Um, and then at about 11 o'clock, I got a call saying, we'd like you to do 60 seconds live into the midday news on Five Live uh, on Tim Hemman's match. And I'm thinking, well... I thought I was just going to do like pre-recorded stuff, you know, that I can get wrong 12 times before giving to you. Um, but anyway, so I said, uh, OK. <laughs> and so they gave me a call at uh, 10 past 12. and They said, right, we're going to be coming to you live in 30 seconds. We want 60 seconds on the button, please. Um, so we'll take it away. And I spoke, I think, for 15 seconds before I completely ran out of things to say. <laughs> And just went silent <laughs> because I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> Did you go? <laughs> no, I just sort of news. <laughs> I just sort of stopped talking after about half one and a half sentences, and then considered hanging the phone up, <laughs> um, and then just decided I won't do that. And I just sat there quietly until they picked him and said, oh, well, we appear to have a problem with the line there from Rotterdam. Um, And so that was my first ever broadcasting experience, which I thought would be my last ever broadcasting experience as well. Fortunately, (laughs) they gave me another chance and I learned how to do it properly. (laughs) Professional broadcaster David Law there. Well, you gave me an opportunity to, to make a partridge gag, so I appreciate that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In St. Petersburg, the tennis was merely a prelude to the ceremony. Uh, we will briefly cover the tennis. Um, Annette Contivate extended her indoor winning streak to 20 matches. Uh, titles in Ostrava, Moscow and uh, Cluj at the end of 21, uh, 2021. And of course, she's she's now won St. Petersburg. She beat Maria Sakkari 5-7. 7-6-7-5 in the final, which of course clashed with the Rotterdam final. I started off watching Zachary Contivate. I switched over, watched most of Auger Elysim Sitsipas and then switched back in time to watch the conclusion of Zachary Contivate. Um, I was lucky that Zachary Contivate went on so long and I was mm. able to watch, you know, most of the dramatic conclusion to the match. But for goodness sake, tennis, that doesn't have to happen. Sort it out. And it just happens all the time. Um, anyway, rant over. Uh, for Contivate, that is the sixth best indoor winning streak since 1989 for any player. That's stat from the WTA Insider. She beat uh, Teichman, Kastea, Bencic. Uh, Bencic, incidentally, says she's still struggling post-COVID. She's got a, a lung problem which she expects to take two to three months to, to heal. Um, so we wish Belinda Bencic all the best. That's really tough. Um, she beat Ostapenko as well. Uh, did conservate Zachary was in great form. She beat Potapova, Alexandrova, Mertens, Begu in a in a match that lasted, I think, more than three hours in the semi-final. Mm. Um, and yet still seemed to have no bearing on her in the final. I mean, she did not lose that final because of any physical drop-off. I mean, Maria Sakkari, I know it goes without saying, but is just the most extraordinary physical specimen. Um, but she was 5-2 up in the deciding set, Sakkari, and should have won it and I know this is a, a dismissive sort of very broad brushstrokes thing to say about Zachary but I did say it early on in our chat about that match you know in the opening stages I said Zachary isn't a closer and she may learn to be I hope she learns to be but I do think that is a, a thing at this stage of Maria Zachary's career she's great from behind um, you know, one of her most famous moments is saving six match points, isn't it? But as a front runner, I, th I think she's got a bit of a problem. Yeah, and it cost her in a lot of big matches last year. The, I remember the Miami semi-final against Andrescu was really close and she couldn't close that one. Obviously, the French Open semi-final against Krejcikova, where she had a match point and couldn't close. And then a couple in Guadalajara as well, at the, right at the end of the season, were really close matches, which she came out on the wrong side of and 
yeah, I mean, I think the most damning part is that she had two chances to win this. You know, she was she was a break up in the second set and lost it. Did very well to get back into a winning position again in in the third set, and then yeah, tightened when she came came to serve it out. And Contivate is is too used to winning matches at the moment. You know, she's too confident not to capitalize on that and. As soon as Sakari lost her serve, there was just a complete switch and Contivate was the one who just, you just knew she was going to win because she has been closing out big, important matches over the last few months. And yeah, I mean, I I sort of on one hand think, well, it's great that Sakari's putting herself in that position. You know, she's she's getting into lots of big matches and she's playing well in them and she's almost winning them. But yeah, maybe it's a bit like the Felix Auger-Aliassime thing. Like she needs to, to do it once in a in a really important match and that might unlock her that might unleash her but the more it happens the more you're waiting for it to happen and and for her to tighten and I'm sure opponents are are sensing that as well that is funny you mentioned uh Felix Auger and I see the comparison there because what I've seen happen and just described happening with Felix Auger and I see that loosening that is what I want to see with Maria Sakkari Mm. and I've heard some people with a a better appreciation of the technical side of the game suggesting that might just not be possible with her technique. Her technique is so physical and sort of sinewy that it is just not geared to being loose. But I can just see how stiff she gets on the big, big moments. She is so, you know, you feel like, you know, you'd pluck her as a, as a guitar string and she would twang you know um like a very tight neck cord somehow and uh, maybe it's not possible maybe she would lose a lot of the things that that make her game so good if she if she were loose if you know what i mean maybe it's just a necessary um price to pay for a lot of her strengths but i would just love to see her somehow be able to loosen up in in the big in the big moments and period of periods of matches because I can all I can just see her fraught um and it, it can be a tough watch mm, no I I agree uh, I often think of the way Andy Roddick puts it as gripping the racket too tightly in those important moments and look the the best footballers are the ones that when they're one-on-one with the keeper their sort of heart rate seems to slow down almost and they just they're able to just slot Mm. the ball home they don't there's no panic and it's so easy to say from someone like me who's never had to try and do it before but the very best players in any sport are able to do that and uh i i agree though ultimately you've just got to keep putting yourself in the position and trying it out i would imagine maybe there's some sports psychology as well that can help um but yeah, ultimately, you've just got to find a way to do it and then maybe you can just repeat that process. Just to extend a sort of WTA ATP comparison segment, Contivate, in my mind, is uh, the WTA Rublev. Really great player, fantastic striker of the ball, um, is is edging her ceiling up incrementally, but I'm not sure she can find a new ceiling. I think she can she can push it you know, uh, and she is doing, she's obviously made massive strides in the last six months and that Tersanov relationship is really working. But I think if she comes up against somebody just with more to their game, particularly just a, a, a bigger toolkit, she she can be figured out and she doesn't have anywhere else to go. But that But the gear she has can look sublime. I think that's a good comparison. I was also thinking there's a bit of a link this week with uh, one of the other ATP winners, Casper Ruud, who, you know, Casper Ruud has put together this incredible run on clay at the 250 level. I think he's now won 19 matches in a row on clay at the ATP 250s. And there's this question of whether he can sort of take that to a higher level. And then there's Contivate, who's got an incredible winning streak indoors. And part of her problem is there's not much of a higher level to take winning indoors. You know, if you're an indoor specialist, you can't take that to the slams because there isn't an indoor slam. And I think it's perhaps unfair on Contivate, actually, that comparison, because she's done that winning streak beating much higher ranked opponents than Rude. You know, Rude's wins generally 
have not come against players in the top 20 whereas lots of contivates in this in this indoor streak she's put together have been top 20 top 10 um and we saw her get to the wta finals final of course but yeah i think there are a few comparisons and it, it does feel just like you can't erase what happened at the australian open for contivate you know she's she hasn't she hasn't taken this form into the really biggest events yet but then she has only had one australian open while she's been in this incredible streak of form. So I think, again, Contivate is someone who I look at for the season and think, right, we're going to learn a lot more about her. Does she have mm. that next level or not? Is she just incrementally, as you say, improving her peak mm. without making a massive, massive leap? Yeah, we will We will absolutely keep an eye on her. Um, time is getting away from us, folks, and we have so much still to discuss. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to breeze past the St. Petersburg trophy ceremony. Uh, I'm going to allocate 90 seconds to this, and I want them to be blockbuster. Who wants to, to take the summary of the St. Petersburg trophy ceremony? Well, listen, I'm going to hand over to Matt because I have to say oh, I turned God. off that ceremony after about 10 seconds of it because I could see what was coming. But what did amuse <laughs> me was the speed with which they rushed through the interview with oh, Annette yeah. Contivate because they wanted the, to get onto the proper stuff. This is stuff. the thing. They do all the interviews first <laughs> and then they do yeah. the sort of variety performance. <laughs> it's very odd. And they finish the interview with, right, Get ready for the awards ceremony. It's like the tennis is out of the way. Now it's the awards ceremony. This is what everyone's come for. And they sort of made the set, it felt like. It sort of turned into a sort of construction of the set for the trophy ceremony. It was very, very clever. The interview was merely a distraction Mm. um, uh, while they got the set ready. Um, There were... there were dancers, there were singers, there was sort of there were drums. Was there a contortionist. There were there were drums. There, there were was, drums. There was acrobatic dancing. Mm. There, there was everything. There was lights. There was colour. Yeah, if you're a fan of completely inexplicable but but very jazzy um, sort of multi entertainment performances, then St Petersburg is the tournament for you. And the great news is there's two of them a year because there's the ATP one at the <laughs> yeah. at the end of the season. And they go all out yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, it's an absolute treat, folks. I'm sure it's available on YouTube somewhere. Uh, let's move on to Buenos Aires. Uh, as Matt gave the game away, Casper Ruud, a titleist there. Uh, he beat Diego Schwartzman 5-7-6-2-6-3 in the final. His winning streak on clay is now up to 16 matches, Casper Ruud. So, you know, he he just keeps delivering. Um, and I know, as we've just said, it's it's at a certain level and there are question marks about the next level. But that is something that he just keeps delivering at this level on clay. Um, th- there was a bigger story, though, in uh, in Buenos Aires last week. There was, you know, one of the biggest stories, really. We had the long-awaited return of Juan Martín del Potro. And it was it was announced sort of in the week leading up to Buenos Aires, I think, or around about a week before, shortly after the Australian Open anyway, that Juan Martín del Potro would be playing uh, Buenos Aires and Rio back-to-back. You know, cue excitement for his long-awaited comeback, his sort of ninth long-awaited comeback of his career or something. Um, and then he goes into his pre-tournament press conference in, in Buenos Aires and tells us uh, that this swing is more of a farewell than a return. Um, so we all start bracing ourselves at that point, And yet still, we couldn't possibly have braced ourselves hard enough for, for what was to come. Um, he faced countryman Federico del Bonis. In his first match, of course, playing in front of home fans where he is, I mean, he's adored across the tennis world, but, you know, there, there aren't words for how adored he is in, in Argentina. Uh, he lost 6-1, 6-3, and we do think, you know, we 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 don't want to do, a you know, an Andy Murray Australian Open thing, but it seems to be that that was his retirement match. He gave... I'm going to struggle to find the words for this. Um, If you're feeling strong, again, find it on YouTube or Twitter or something because it was so moving, the speech he gave on court. His entire last service game was so incredibly 
moving, the crowd chanting his name, Del Potro struggling to keep it together at the back of the court. He said he said in that on-court speech that he just wants to live without pain in his knee. He says he gave everything just to have this moment. Um, he draped his headband over the net. He hugged his mum <laughs> uh, and he left the court being serenaded and um, promptly pulled out of Rio um, the next week or this week just starting. Um, it was, uh, I mean, you know, we would have all expected emotional scenes at Juan Martín del Potro's farewell, Matt. Well, Matt, David, both of you, I'm sure, want to talk about this, but I was pretty floored by it, actually. Um, yeah, really, it 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 all got me big time yeah it was it was heartbreaking to be honest um you know he said he was calm was the word he used that he at least got to have this moment on court rather than just have to go into a press conference and never play again but also you could you could see the emotion and how sad he was that it was ending like this at the same time as that you know he had He'd clearly made such an effort just to get into this position to be able to play this match. And when I say this position, that's a shadow of the man we've seen play tennis. I mean, he he couldn't move. I mean, he, he really couldn't get to balls. Del Bonis was drop-shotting him and, you know... Yeah, I didn't realise Del Bonis was that guy. <laughs> no, he was so ruthless. I learned a lot about Federico <laughs> Del Bonis. <laughs> He was in a bit of a no win though. He was. Well, he yeah, was. but drop shots, David. Drop shots. <laughs> that was. You know, he's playing Amazing. his match. I know. I get it. Absolutely. But gosh, I mean, Del Potro. He, he couldn't. He couldn't get to them. He was clearly in pain. He he looked weary. He looked. He looked like mm. a guy right at you know at the end of the road, the end of his career, really. And yeah, I mean, I mean, the words he gave, as you said, just wanting to live without pain in his leg after after several years and the fact that he hugged his mum it was the first time his mum had ever seen him play a professional match and you know she was there I mean that that was a sign that it was the end I think as well um yeah it was it was really moving and I think you know Del Potro is has always made people care you know he is he has brought mm. onto court his lived life experience and all the injuries he's had are kind of with him on court in some way or another and people are moved by him and want to cheer him on and as you said in no place more than in Argentina and I'm glad he did get that moment because it was incredibly special and I'm, I'm sure he will remember that and be pleased that he did make the effort to manage to get on court one one more time but gosh I mean such a sad way for one of one of the great careers to end you know mm. sort of in keeping with the career he's had of course this great big what if has been attached to his career but also mm. he has done a lot he's contributed a lot he has been he has been a guy who's brought so much to tennis and yet he's just had he's had so much more to give and i feel i feel very sad that his career has has ended this way we think and and we all have so much more to say about Juan mm. Martín del Potro, and that is big part of the reason why we will be doing the Juan Martín del Potro story. Four friends of the tennis podcast will be recording that this week. Um, I expect to cry. So uh, another incentive to to well, become a friend of the pod. <laughs> Listen to Catherine if, if cry. I, um, but if I can also add, uh, you you you'll cry when you when you hear the voice notes of mm. Hannah Wilkes, of which I've I've received because she had told us that um, one Martin Del Potro changed the course of her life, and uh, so we wanted to hear all about that. Hannah, who does our Twitter during the Grand Slams, and uh, I've only got through one of the two voice mate, notes so far because <laughs> it's all so it's all too much, um, but. You know, anyway, it's coming your way. Can we record, whether we need to record that before I get PMT? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, just just one final thing to say. Um, how easy would it have been for him to retire during the pandemic to just say, you know, yeah. at that stage, he must have known that the knee was never going to allow him to be the player that he was. You know, he fought through a pandemic and you know all the rest of the rehab and everything 
just to have that one moment of losing losing three and one to, to Federico yeah. Del Bonis drop shotting him all over the I place. Think that, that is extraordinary. Some people are made that way. I think Andy mm. Murray is made that way. Mm. Okay, he's actually turned it into more than that. He's turned it into an extension of his career, but he needed to be able to not have it finish the way it was looking like it was going to finish. He had to exhaust every possibility. I think, you know, I think back to the Bryan brothers, I felt feel very sad for them that they didn't have their, their the moments they were hoping to when they actually retired, but They'd done everything. They could have no regrets. There's nothing they didn't achieve. And, you know, yes, it was a shame, but ultimately they can look back at every portion of their career and think, what a success. Exceeded all expectations. Del Potro knows that he was cheated in his career for long portions of it. You summed it up perfectly, Matt. He achieved so much. He had so much more to give. And he knows that in his heart, and and, it, and it's very hard for him to accept. So he was not going to allow that to rob him of of the moment of finishing on the court. And and I I, I think he, I think he'll probably be able to live with himself a lot more happily now. Mm. Gosh, I, I hope so. And one of the things that's made him such an inspirational player is I think he's he's really understood the importance of fans in tennis and, he, and he's connected with those fans. And he said, translation from the Spanish, but he said, the most difficult thing to achieve is not a cup or a ranking, but the affection of the people. I think I did that and I carry it in my heart. And I mean, if ever there was a quote to sum up what Del Potro is about and what he did, then then that's it. If everyone can stop trying to make me cry, I'm going to uh, try and rollick through the last 10 minutes of this podcast because we've got a lot to get through, folks. Um, there was one more tournament last week, uh, an ATP event in Dallas, Texas. Uh, All-American semi-final lineup, uh, Giron against Brooksby. Brooksby, of course, who had to pull out of the Australian Open because uh, he tested positive for COVID just before. And then we had Apelka versus Isner. Um, I've recommended a lot of uh, things to go back and watch on YouTube over the course of this podcast. Apelka versus Isner is is not one of them, folks. That was that was hard work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, tie breaks. It, even tie if it breaks. did break records. Yeah, it, it second second set tie break. Uh, won by uh, Apelka, or both of them were won by Apelka. He won in two tie breaks. Uh, it was twenty four twenty two. Uh, the longest in ATP Tour history and possibly the most boring. Uh, their last 12 sets against each other have all gone to tie breaks. There we go. Um, Jensen Brooksby reached the final. He saved four match points to beat uh, countryman Marcus Giron in a deciding set tie break. Uh, so in terms of Brooksby, from six ATP Tour main draw appearances, Brooksby has reached two finals and two semi-finals. He also reached the last 16 of the US Open, of course, uh, where he beat Karatsev and Fritz and lost to Djokovic in four sets and was a great showing against Djokovic. We've not had an opportunity to watch much of Brooksby, but what we've seen has been very uh, promising. Apelka beat him in the final. More tie breaks, folks. 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Didn't lose serve all week. Got a pat on the head from George W. Bush after winning. Um... So, yes, his heart is full, I'm sure. Um, so well done to Riley Apelka. Um, just a, a talking point on Jensen Brooksby. We had Pam Shriver, friend of the pod, hello, Pam, and Patrick McEnroe weighing in on Brooksby's uncourt behaviour on Twitter. Pam said, hindrance in caps by Brooksby several times in semis with racket waving and tapping ground just before Giron about to hit the ball and then eye roll emoji, one of my faves. Uh, and Patrick McEnroe tweeted, I love Jensen Brooksby's game and intensity, great for tennis. I don't like, and then there's an itemised list, folks. One, his tapping racket on ground before opponent shot. Two, waving arms before opponent shot. Three, grunting considerably louder on big points. Poor junior behaviour. Behavior. Lose it, JB. This is the pros. Um, thoughts and feelings, folks. That's quite something, isn't it? Two very established, respected figures who've both played, been there and done it, and 
countryman compatriot of Brooksby, you know, it's very easy to cheerlead some young player like this who is really exciting and has got so much to offer. Really, and, you know, he's had plaudits. Andy Roddick likes him. Andy Murray's talked about how much he enjoys watching him. And, and we've, we've raved about him here on the podcast. But I do find that very interesting that, that they've come out and said that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, I, I can't say I didn't see that, Matt, so I don't know. It must have been bad, though. I think to to make them feel like that and to to make them want to say it publicly and uh, yeah, I like the fact that he's different, but that is really going to wind people up. I think he does wind people up from from what I've heard, and I think he sort of you know doesn't doesn't mind that he's happy to to be that guy. But yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. He's not the only one that I've seen do that racket tapping thing. I think sit to passes has done it on in the past or certainly been accused of doing it in the past. I think I remember a match in, in Miami. But anyway, I still love his game. Um, but yeah. Just to say on this event, I think it was a real success, you know, a, 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 mm. a new location, Dallas. It was sort of seemed to be sold out every session and it was in stark contrast to where the event used to be, which was uh, in New York where they used to play. And it was empty for a couple of years. No one was there taking it to Dallas and I mean there's clearly a market there because wow I mean the the crowds are impressive yeah absolutely um uh the week the week before when we were out of time to to cover all this in detail but the the post Australian Open week we had uh, Alexander Bublik winning the title in Montpellier he beat uh Alexander Zverev in the final there great Great week for Alexander Bublik. Beat Zverev quite handily in the final, actually. Uh, yeah. And we had Zhao Sousa winning the title in Pune and Albert Ramos Vinyalas winning title in Cordoba. No WTA events in that week when there were three ATP events. Um, that's a talking point, actually, to be honest. That This season, I, th- I think Dubai this week is the seventh WTA event and the ATP about in their 15th event, you know, there's been more or less mm. double the number of ATP events and that, you know, is giving obviously playing opportunities for way more players. We see the Dubai field this week for the women. It's, it's an amazing draw, but it's an amazing draw for a reason because there's nowhere else for them to play. You've got, you've got Jill Teichman in qualifying for Dubai. And, you know, next week we're going to have two ATP 500 events where they split the field, you know, it's just, and that, that feeds in, that imbalance feeds into prize money as well. We had, we had a really nice email from um, listener Kathy who picked up on this imbalance and said, yes, you know, it's playing opportunities, but it's also prize money, you know, because the ATP 500 events are offering more prize money anyway. And then you've got more events on, on the ATP calendar at the moment. It's just, I don't know what the reason is, but it's it's a bit of a problem in terms of the WTA you know I think they've lost the Thailand event they've lost the Hungary event which normally would take mm. place in these few weeks but playing opportunities and, and prize events. money at a, at a cost and obviously the back end of the season all the Chinese mm. events yeah it's a very interesting one um just just quickly on uh on Bublik and by extension Andy Murray Bublik won the title in Montpellier and then was beaten by Andy Murray uh in the first round in Rotterdam last week brilliant win for Murray he played great um ended up losing to the eventual champion Felix Auger Aliassime um but before that appearance in Rotterdam Andy Murray had announced that he intends to skip the clay court season this year uh, to focus on grass um we don't have time to get into this in detail. I'm sure it's something that will come up over the over the course of the next few weeks and months. But again, Pam Shriver um, tweeted us to say, I decided early on in my career I could not play all segments of the tour and remain physically and mentally healthy. I skipped European clay court season to remain fresh for the grass, my best surface. Wimbledon is Andy's best major surface for a deep run. Um, and I agree with that. I, it makes me... It makes me a little bit excited about what he could do on grass whilst also trying to temper that temper that excitement. Um, if you want to hear more about that potential excitement, I talked about it on the uh, on the listener questions uh, show for Friends of the Tennis Podcast last week. Um, but yeah, we don't have time to get into it, but I'm sure it will continue to come up. Um, just as an extension of what we were saying about uh, WCA not having 
Chinese events, um, we had Peng Shui this week giving an interview with L'Equipe at the Winter Olympics. It's her first time speaking to an international and independent media outlet, um, not the IOC, of course, although she did have Chinese Olympic Committee officials sitting in on the discussion. Um, L'Equipe had its own interpreter there, so they weren't relying on Chinese officials, but questions were submitted in advance and say she was heavily accompanied as she has been at all of her appearances at the Winter Olympics. Um, This is a a snapshot, a series of um, a snapshot of the discussion. Peng Shui said, I never said anyone had sexually assaulted me in any way. Questioner then asked, then you also vanished. Why did you disappear? She said, I never disappeared. Everyone could see me. Uh, she was asked, why did your Weibo post vanish? She said, I erased it. Uh, why did you erase it? Why? Because I wanted to. Um, the interview also said Peng Shui has retired from tennis. Uh, we had a follow-up statement from CEO of the WTA, Steve Simon. Um, it's always good to see Peng Shui, whether in an interview or attending the Olympic Games. However, her recent in-person interview does not alleviate any of our concern about, concerns about her initial post from November 2nd. To reiterate our view, Peng took a bold step in publicly coming forth with the accusation that she was sexually assaulted by a senior Chinese government leader. As we would do with any of our players globally, we have called for a formal investigation into the allegations by the appropriate authorities and an opportunity for the WTA to meet with Peng privately to discuss her situation. We continue to hold firm on our position and our thoughts remain with Peng Shui, um, which was, I, I'm sure you both agree, I, I, I liked I liked that response a lot. Um, nothing that that I've seen or heard from Peng Shui, regardless of who she was speaking to in the last couple of weeks, reassures me at all um, about her her well-being, quite frankly. So um, I, he's he's holding firm, isn't he? Steve Simon holding very firm. Um, we have events this week everywhere, folks. Absolutely everywhere. WTA... Uh, are in Dubai uh, with a 500 event. The ATP are all over the shop. Rio, uh, Doha, that's a 250. Rio's a 500. AT, uh, Delray Beach, that's a 250. Cam Norrie's the top seed. And Marseille, also a 250. They've got Sitsipas, Rublev, Auger, Aliasim. Uh It is all happening, folks, and we'll be back next week with a podcast to wrap it all up. Our weekly mascot this week is Willow, who's owned by Elizabeth Jones. Willow is a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel who's two years old uh, and Billy Jean is half Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. And and so I love them. I mean, love all dogs, obvs. But uh, Willow is absolutely beautiful and I can see a little bit of Billy Jean in her. And she's also going to be our Wimbledon mascot this year. Hooray for Willow. Thank you for being our mascot. We have our own mascots. David's got Darwin. I've got Carter. Matt's got Gerald, the cat. Uh, Billy Jean has got Billy Jean King of Super Bowl coin toss fame and Alana Kloss. Uh, we have our executive producers and top blokes, Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Jonah Bernard from Cornelius, North Carolina. Oh, hello, Cornelius, North Carolina. Um, Jonah, like Jonah Hill, and Bernard, like Bernard Tomic. Who's Jonah Hill? He's an actor, actor. David. All right. Yep. All right, Jonah. Hello, Jonah. Thanks for your support. We have Joseph Barreto in Sag Harbor, New York, who's who's a long well, we know time Joseph, don't friend we? Yes. and supporter. He he, he did uh, the guest editing of our Jim Courier Roland Garros relived show yes, last year, which was oh. splendid. Thank you very much, Joseph. Good work. Yes. Hello and thank you. And we have Caroline Dove, and I know I'm pronouncing that correctly because she said "dove like the bird, not dove oh. into the water." Thank, oh, we appreciate helpful. that clarification, Caroline. That is extremely helpful, and what a lovely name. And she is from Flagstaff, Arizona. Oh, loves, lovely. 
We are American-centric today on the mm. Tennis Podcast shout-outs. Awesome. We Thanks so are. much for your support, Thank you Olia. very much, Caroline Dove. Love that. Thank you all for your support. If you want to shout-out, become a friend of the pod. Uh, we'll have our Juan Martín del Potro special this week. We'll be back with a new weekly show for anyone and everyone uh, next Monday. So tune in then. Loads of tennis happening. Watch it if you can or if you want to. And if you don't, then we'll tell you what happened next week. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.